This is just to say I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet and so cold. That's okay. I can buy new plums. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beetroot. You're here with your hosts, Lottie and Marta. Hello, everyone. And today we're going to be doing some food for thought. As you may have already guessed by our little prologue, which Marta so beautifully did, we are going to be bringing poems to you all about food. Yes. My personal favourite phenomena. <laughs> Before we begin, we'd just like to start off by thanking everyone who came out to Purdue last week. It was so special for us. Yeah, it was a really lovely evening. Um, and it's so nice to see so many poetry lovers residing here in our home city. Yeah, thank you so much. We're, we're lost for words on that. We, we still yeah, don't know how was, to deal with it. It was really, really amazing. A beautiful evening. So, Marta, what have you brought along to tease my appetite today? Um, well, so I spent a lot of time looking for the perfect food poem. There's a lot of amazing food poems out mm. there. I mean, like odes to onions that are like the most romantic thing you're ever going to read. I also hesitated with a poem called The Emperor of Ice Cream, which is just glorious. Um, <laughs> but in the end, I decided to bring in a long favorite of mine called Supermarket in California mm. by Allen Ginsberg. I'll just go ahead and read it because it speaks for itself. What thoughts I have of you tonight, Walt Whitman. For I walk down the side streets under the trees with a headache, self-conscious looking at the full moon. In my hungry fatigue and shopping for images, I went into the neon fruit supermarket dreaming of your enumerations. What peaches and what penumbras, whole families shopping at night, aisles full of husbands, wives in the avocados, babies in the tomatoes. And you, Garcia Lorca, what were you doing by the watermelons? I saw you, Walt Whitman, childless, lonely, old grubber, poking among the meats in the refrigerator and eyeing the grocery boys. I heard you asking questions of each, who killed the pork chops? What prices are the bananas? Are you my angel? I wandered in and out of the brilliant stacks of cans following you and followed in my imagination by the store detective. We stood down and opened corridors together in our solitary fancy tasting artichokes, possessing every frozen delicacy and never passing the cashier. Where are we going, Walt Whitman? The doors close in an hour. Which way does your beard point tonight? I touch your book and dream of our odyssey in the supermarket and feel absurd. Will we walk at night through solitary streets? The trees add shade to shade. Lights out in the houses. We'll both be lonely. Will we stroll dreaming of the lost America, of lost past blue automobiles in driveways, home to our silence cottage? Ah, dear father, gray beard, lonely old courage teacher. What America did you have when Sharon quit holding his ferry and you got out on a smoking bank and stood watching the boat disappear on the black waters of Leith? Mm. This is just, this is one of my... Oh, the best shopping list ever. I know. <laughs> wow. You should just print this out and bring it when you go to the Albert Hein, you know, yeah, have it in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> The reason I return to this poem so many times, I love what he says, you know, in my hungry fatigue, shopping for images. 
for me, all of the images in this poem are just so strong. You know, mm. the babies and the tomatoes, the wives and the avocados. Yeah. Um, Lorca next to the watermelons. It's just, I often return to this poem for inspiration myself, you know, because it's just like, it really, I think that's also the way that when I write poetry, when I gamble, <laughs> when I poke my when toe I spin in the pool, the wheel. <laughs> I feel like this is really the way that I look at life as though it was this supermarket of images and mm. anything can really go with anything and or I, a nutritious meal yeah exactly you know like just the images that he that he mixes like there's you know he talks um about such like kind of new images you know the supermarket neon lights um the modern world yeah. automobiles but then at the end you know we're brought into the the underground you know he refers to the charon and the leaf which are like these rivers um of the underworld um but even the way he describes the underworld it just seems like this sort of um you know with the ferry and the smoke banks you know it's like m these modern images mm -hmm. uh you know industrial images as yeah. well and he's mixing all of these like natural poetic you know what prices are the banana are you my angel you know, these two questions yeah. next to each other is so is so powerful, I find. Yeah, it almost seems as if he's he's desperately trying to go to the supermarket to assume some normality and to hunt down some food to prepare for himself and, and, and do something that is quite habitual in a way. And he's confronted by all of these philosophical questionings on his way. And so, sometimes that can, I don't know about you, but if I'm in the supermarket, sometimes I find that to be a bit of a nuisance mm -hmm. because it's okay to just have a blank mind sometimes and to go with the crowd, go with the flow, like, you know, don't make it a habit. But if I'm in the supermarket, I'm like, okay, what, what do I need? What do I, and it's that thing of never shop when you're hungry, you know, cause <laughs> it's the, it's the motivation that, that dear old Albert wants, you know? Yeah. But that's also what I love because he's not there for any practical reason you know no. he, he calls his he calls this you know his odyssey at the supermarket and yeah. you know he's not he's not he's not going to pass and you know he says it himself and never passing the cashier yeah you know he's just walking along the supermarket with this dead american poet yeah um eating fruit and asking questions about angels and pork chops he's the hero of the fruit and veg aisle yeah exactly and i mean there's a lot of you know, this is a poem that has been studied a lot and I feel like there's a lot of interpretations mm. that uh, people give. You know, there's the whole thing about Walt Whitman's America and Ginsburg's America, like, mm. you know, talking back to each other. Ginsburg America completely submerged in, like, consumerism and cars and fastness and Walt Whitman still having this, like, old America mm. of love. And they also talk about, like, the homosexual undertones of this, you know, also... Um, he mentions the Spanish poet Lorca, who also had like a lot of homoerotic references in his poetry. Mm. But I feel like all of these uh, analyses are very interesting. But mostly, it's just for me, it's the images. Yeah. That well, he who creates. could blame them? You know, it's like begging to be deconstructed in some way. Yeah, definitely. But for me, like something about just the. I just visualize it so strongly. You mm. know, you imagine that you yourself are walking through the supermarket and you're following Walt Whitman through the aisles yeah. and the lights are neon. It's just such a visual poem in, in my opinion. I love how food becomes personified in this poem mm. and it's been given character because I feel like perhaps not 
not back in 1955 mm. when this was written, but certainly today we really ask our food questions, food <laughs> questions, almost origin questions. You know, where are you from? What's your name? Like, mm. um, what's your height? Not exactly those questions, but we're really curious as to where our food is coming from mm-hmm. nowadays. And I feel like personifying them in this way is leading us to those questions mm-hmm. or asking us to recognize food as an integral part of our existence and something mm-hmm. that can bring a lot of color to our life, a lot of nutrition, joy, asking who killed um, the pork chops, you know. Mm-hmm. How did how did that come to be? It's both a philosophical question and a practical question in some yeah. sense. And I think that's also why I found it so hard to choose a poem. It's because there are so many food like food poems, but it's also because you know food is never just food. It's such a, an integral metaphor for so many things mm-hmm. in our life. You know, food is the moment where we sit down with family it's something you know you share on a first date mm. it's also something that you bring to the beret you know to the grieving um as a sign of love and affection mm. um it's there it's our sustenance it's how we live um and in nowadays also you know how food is produced is very important for the whole entire future of our planet like i just think that and i think that's why food poems are so lovely is because they're never just about food they're just a really nice way to crack open just about anything yeah that humans can feel and think you know yeah it's a window to a certain type of world because when we're talking about food you're right we're not just talking about food we're talking about economy we're talking about culture we're talking about agriculture all of these different things that make up you know a community of people or a nation you know how how a country treats their food deals food trades in food really reflects some of their most important fundamentals as Mm -hmm. as a nation or as a community exactly and that's why the question how expensive are the pork chops is just Mm. as important as the question are you my angel because in the end they're actually not that far yeah they're not that far from each other religion and food it's like exactly the blood of christ (laughs) Christ. again with the last episode (laughs) i was all about religion i don't know if i've been like we're trying to find salvation somewhere some christian organization but (laughs) oh my god we'll see next episode if it continues and then maybe i'll go and see what's up But also the supermarket in America, a supermarket in California specifically, is kind of this hub of consumerism of, Mm. you know, you go to the supermarket and you can see several varieties of customer, of citizen, Mm -hmm. um, all there to make some choices about what they're going to, you know, children in the in the seat of the trolley who, you know, with their mother or father who's, who's going to pick the food that they're eating that evening yeah it's going to be a formative memory for them eating those kinds of meals you know when when bruce bites into the madeline it takes him back to his childhood and for these children going down to the watermelons or babies in the tomatoes these will be memories that they will come back to and it's all being formed in the supermarket that's the moment where that choice is made as to what you're going to feed your child or yeah or to what dinner you're going to make for your lover or yeah. you know what you're going to cook your mum this you know she's coming over to see your new apartment it's, it's such a place of excitement like everyone's has a project it's almost kind of like a classroom in some sense everyone has this motivation yeah. to go forward and 
cook something wonderful. I yeah. mean, also late night snack is there for a, a cheeky Cheeto, but <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, actually, you know what? I've with the supermarket thing, I've just I think it would be super interesting to do a Marxist analysis of this poem. Just bear oh. with me. But what I'm thinking is, you know, if you think of how like the means of production could. Um, affect how we write poetry you know mm. if you're thinking in an agricultural sense you know it's like a slow process you know it's like you know it's all about nature and the po you know the fruits and vegetables the poem being bathed by sunlight mm. to slowly grow but that's not what making food is in this like consumerist society mm. where you go to the supermarket it's like you have a choice between absolutely everything you know you have different brands you're bombarded by options and i think i i really love Like, when I think of all the poems I've brought on to Beechwood, it's always supermarket poems. Like, I just love poems that bombard you with different images, yeah. images of of love, pork chops, CDs, mm. everything, you know, and kind of all squished together into this one place. And this is very much a poem that exists within that space, you know. Mm. You're bombarded with all the different images the way you would be bombarded by the different products in the supermarket. Mm. And maybe it's not a sustainable way for our world but it does make very nice poems no but i don't think alan ginsberg could have written a farmer's market in california <laughs> or a market in california you know you have all of that variety there people people are shouting people are yelling at each other to to sell what they've got for the day like the urgency is there every time you go to the market you're kind of accosted by someone who's wanting to give you their fish or mm. you know their ripe tomatoes from that day and the supermarket is just much more reserved yeah you know, nothing miraculous has ever happened to me at the supermarket <laughs> i have to say it's always always remained a, a neutral place for me to go and uh, explore and i think also This poem is interesting as a reflection of poetry, like of the act of writing mm. poetry as well. I mean, I think especially with the fact that it's an ode or a dedication or a conversation with another poet that kind of brings that into yeah. into perspective. And I wonder how Ginsburg and Whitman would write differently. You know, what poem, what supermarket poem would Walt Whitman write? Yeah, Because it is this opportunity to be possessed almost by objects and color, branding, typography, all of these things in the supermarket. And that's a great method for writing a poem, to have so many things thrown at you that there's the impulse to write it down instinctively. Mm -hmm. And this can happen to many people. You know, poets are not adorned with this God-given gift mm -hmm. to do so, no matter how How many people have tried to convince me of such a thing? I still think if you're open enough to the reception of objects, their materiality, their spirituality, their potential to be a metaphor, to be a person, mm. then you can make an itinerary just like Allen Ginsberg has done. And it's a miraculous one at that, the way that he moves from metaphors to similes all within the landscape of the supermarket. Yeah, maybe that's a little beetroot assignment for our listeners yeah. to... I was doing that the other day. I was sitting, there's this little like sculpture park um, in the west of Amsterdam and it looks like a living room, but it's all made with rocks. And I just sat there and uh, I started to write everything that was happening around me. Mm. And the more I started to look and open myself up, the more I was like, this is, this is glorious. This is wild, man. This is wild, man. <laughs> you know, you had these children running around and you had these like two 12-year-olds like kind of flirting with each other. But by writing 
different like words onto each other's knees and I was like if this isn't the most poetic thing wow <laughs> he's demanding that we transform the supermarket it's kind of a revolutionary act to go to the supermarket with the intention of I'm going to be open to poeticness to the poetics of what they've laid out for me to consume definitely and I think you know we can be very scared of of the modern world and where mm. where it's heading and I, and he is as well you know that's why he's asking all these questions yeah. um but at the same time I think that the the option is not either a return to this sort of like Walt Whitman time or like the the beauty of the past mm. I think there's a way of moving forward that things in relation to everything to objects to people to the animals the angels the dead mm. technologies that moves us forward in a certain way with all of that in mind yeah i mean he's he's really immersed allen ginsberg in the activism of 1955 like he has a, a small cameo in um the trial of the chicago seven i just watched it on netflix oh, really? um and you know he's at the front of the riot he's reading out poems but he's taken a moment to say okay you don't have to be in a bloody riot right at the forefront of protesting you can also just be in the supermarket and that's also revolutionary to protest in a way the similarity between you know what we're consuming and ourselves what are we doing to ourselves he's asking it's just such a beautiful poem mm. i think it's you could look at it for ages as well oh yeah definitely it's so it's so full it's mm. so so full but maybe we should go shopping for uh, another poem <laughs> you want to hop in the basket exactly go great check out um i have brought with me a poem by Lee Young Lee called Persimmons. Lee Young Lee was born in Jakarta in Indonesia in 1957 to Chinese political exiles and he later settled in America and this poem is a beautiful reflection on the potential of the persimmon to be a metaphor. Persimmons. In sixth grade Mrs Walker slapped the back of my head and made me stand in the corner for not knowing the difference between persimmon and precision. How to choose. Persimmons. This is precision. Ripe ones are soft and brown spotted. Sniff the bottoms. The sweet one will be fragrant. How to eat. Put the knife away. Lay down newspaper. Peel the skin tenderly. Not to tear the meat. Chew the skin. Suck it and swallow. Now... Eat the meat of the fruit, so sweet, all of it to the heart. Donna undresses, her stomach is white, in the yard, dewy and shivering with crickets, we lie naked. Face up, face down, I teach her Chinese. Crickets, choo-choo, dew, I've forgotten. Naked, I've forgotten. Niwo. You and me. I part her legs, remember to tell her she is as beautiful as the moon. Other words that got me into trouble were fight and fright, wren and yarn. Fight was what I did when I was frightened. Fright was what I felt when I was fighting. Wrens are small, plain birds. Yarn is what one knits with. Wrens are as soft as yarn. My mother made birds out of yarn. I love to watch her tie the stuff. A bird, a rabbit, a wee man. Mrs Walker brought a persimmon to class and cut it up so everyone could taste a Chinese apple. Knowing it wasn't ripe or sweet, I didn't eat. But 
watched the other faces. My mother said every persimmon has a sun inside, something golden, glowing, warm as my face. Once in the cellar, I found two wrapped in newspaper, forgotten and not yet ripe. I took them and set both on my bedroom windowsill, where each morning a cardinal sang, The sun, the sun. Finally understanding he was going blind, my father sat up all one night, waiting for a song. A ghost. I gave him the persimmons, swelled, heavy as sadness and as sweet as love. This year, in the muddy lighting of my parents' cellar, I rummage, looking for something I lost. My father sits on the tired wooden stairs, black cane between his knees, hand over hand, gripping the handle. He's so happy that I've come home. I ask how his eyes are. A stupid question. All gone, he answers. Under some blankets I find a box. Inside the box I find three scrolls. I sit behind him and untie three paintings by my father. Hibiscus leaf and a white flower. Two cats preening. Two persimmons. So full they want to drop from the cloth. He raises both hands to touch the cloth. Asks, which is this? This is persimmons, father. Oh, the feel of the wolf tail of the silk, the strength, the tense precision in the wrist. I painted them hundreds of times, eyes closed. These I painted blind. Some things never leave a person. Scent of the hair of the one you love, the texture of a persimmon in your palm, the ripe weight. Mm, It's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And I admittedly haven't explored Chinese poetry all that much. But when I was looking for a poem about food, I wanted to discover something different. I think that was kind of an impulse that I got in from my taste buds almost, you know, when you're eating food, you're like, (laughs) oh, my God, a new flavor. For me, this was, you know, in some sense, a a new flavor. It's a poem I, I hadn't read before, a poet I hadn't come into contact with. And the way that he alludes to cultural assimilation through the metaphor of a persimmon I think is just so imaginative and really the most precise and specific way to allude to that experience without making it seem you know sad in any way I mean you understand it you're not sad about it you're experiencing the beauty of this persimmon the taste the texture the way it should be prepared through the eyes of another Mm -hmm. and I don't think I've ever eaten a persimmon no me neither but it's an apple native to, to China and it's bright orange. If, you, uh, if you've got something handy to you right now, Google a, a persimmon. But I don't even think you need to after his poem, honestly. It's such a wonderful description. Whilst narrating his experience of culturally assimilating to the white Western America, and it goes all the way from him being a child to being you know, a teenage lover to being an adult son. I think those are three very interesting ways to move through life, always attributing age to an experience. Um, And I also loved in this poem that the the nasty teacher who just hasn't any understanding of the way he makes (laughs) connections is called Mrs. Walker. And I was like, okay, um, I'll accept my fate. Yeah. As as a Mrs. Walker, I will I will take that. Um, he begins the poem by describing how he makes associations. 
Mm. And Mrs. Walker is an embodiment of this teacher who only takes things at face value, Mm. who doesn't learn to investigate the way a child's mind works, Mm. not in the way that young Lee has taken the time to show us how a child's mind works this teacher has no care for a different way of thinking it's it's one way it's her classroom and that's it and most of the other children don't have a problem with that but the child who sees a relationship between persimmon and precision and struggles with the english language chinese being his native language he thinks differently and of course of course he does Of course, he has a different way of processing information and and coming to grips with language. But I think so often we're taught that that's a bad thing, Mm -hmm. that 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 means we're slow, that means we're behind. I've never had that experience because as an English speaker, I've always been ahead of the game in some way. Everyone's always tried to learn English and it's not something I think people should be ashamed of at all. I should be ashamed for not knowing more languages or or learning to think in in another linguistic way i think that's why uh, in this case poetry is very interesting because it enables you you know in the end he does connect precision and persimmon and mm-hmm. shows how they can be connected and i remember as a kid um in french when you say like a pen's not working you say ça marche pas and marche also means walking and mm-hmm. i used to always say in english the pen's not walking it's not <laughs> walking it won't walk you know um which would sound silly to a teacher but like, it's poetic yeah you know? it's really that's wonderful <laughs> There's so many nuances and metaphors that can be found in the gaps between language in translation, actually. Exactly. And I think translation is is a wonderful art and it's a creative one at that. It's not just mechanical. But he goes on to display how precision is related to the persimmon and it's in the preparation of the persimmon. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's a far more delicate and precise method that you have to approach it with. Peel the skin tenderly, do not tear the meat, chew the skin, suck it and swallow. The eating is like a ceremony. It's it's a a cultural, the cultural ceremony in some sense. And I like the way that these few lines kind of include a sort of recipe type uh, how do you say feel to them you know with how explaining the the preparation and you know the way that you would read a, a recipe you know cut it peel it tenderly chew the skin yeah i feel like that's very interesting because when we think of of writing and in relation to food recipes are also a really interesting space there and i love the way he punctuates that stanza as well by leaving the silences mm. to for us to imagine someone physically doing this Definitely. how to eat colon put the knife away comma so someone puts the knife away lay down newspaper laying down newspaper this punctuation allows us to imagine the methodology of eating mm-hmm. a persimmon it's a technical thing mm-hmm. and all embodied in one fruit you know we receive nine out of ten information through our eyes through images through symbols and he's saying language is also very important and some symbols and images like the persimmon need to be deconstructed and we need to look further into it yeah and he really looks also into the i guess little the ritual that food is as well Mm. you know it's not something as opposed to maybe biscuits you would buy in a ginsburg supermarket Mm. that you just eat up straight away there's a certain ritual with food that comes traditionally you know and there's really all of these acts that come with it you know laying down the newspaper sitting down at the dinner table Mm. and i think that's a really beautiful thing to focus on and i love how he begins with this childlike simplicity of Mm. 
of seeing the world because from the moment you are a child someone is preparing you some mrs walker somewhere is preparing you to adapt yourself to the simplistic clear-cut currency of language and Mm. and of interacting in this world and this childlike simplicity augments how we need to use our imagination a little bit more Mm. to to relate to language to excavate what is really going on in the symbols and images that present themselves to us and then he goes on to become, you know, a lover. He, he grows up and it's very sudden. Donna undresses, you know, it's almost uncomfortable because you're in this childlike state of yeah. the persimmon and then you're like, whoa, naked woman. And you're like, <laughs> ah, but it really, it can happen that suddenly sometimes that, you know, one moment you're a child and the next you're, you're all grown up. How did that happen in the blink of an eye? You know, our parents always say, oh, they grow up so fast. And it's not just them who's allowed to feel that way. Mm. I also think, God, where did those, where did my youth go? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's not all gone. <laughs> I'm still looking pretty good, but you know, the youth, youth. Yeah, and I think also because it comes right after that stanza where he's, you know, preparing the the persimmon. No persimmon. Sorry, I said that wrong. Persimmon. Persimmon. Um, I feel like the undressing of Donna kind of comes as a parallel to mm. that. And there's this, you know, the like I, he I, learned it from the persimmon. Exactly. You know, oh. and there's something. Oh. <laughs> touch me nah. like we're, touch a persimmon. <laughs> but you know, like the parting of the legs and the Jew. I I feel you know there's mm. something so sensual because that's also food is is a sensual yeah thing you know but it's quite sad this poem as well because the persimmon is is a metaphor for cultural assimilation that he's going mm. through and as he undresses Donna you know he's desperately trying to teach her some Chinese mm. and he suddenly realizes that he's forgotten some words mm. and in growing up in America in a culture that is white western he's forgotten his native language mm. and it's a sad realization naked I've forgotten due I've forgotten and it's all of these nuances that he could bring to his life through the knowledge of his language mm. that someone has hardened him to forget. And, you know, it ends with the, the sort of conversation between him and his father. And it kind of reinforces the way that this is something that happens over generations, mm. time and time again, that we learn to forget parts of our culture. Mm. But then again... The father can paint these persimmons even as he is blind. Yeah. And he says, you know, these two beautiful ones, he painted them when he was blind. So maybe I think that although these things are lost in some ways, in other ways they can never be lost. You yeah. know? And I feel like the, the persimmon so small, so delicate, and yet like a metaphor for something that can't be lost. You yeah. Know? Well, this relationship he's he's having with this woman, Donna undresses, her stomach is white. You know, it's kind of not sleeping with the enemy, but, you know, sleeping with someone who embodies a certain type of culture that he's been forced into that he's been made to you know puzzle himself into Mm. and I think it's the line welcome home son or he's glad I've come home Mm. you're right at the end of the poem it's sort of like remembering everything that he's lost yeah and the father who can paint the persimmons while still blind saying you know you haven't forgotten it's still in there it's like muscle memory it's still there you can still remember to peel the persimmon in the way that I taught you to as a child you know you've been through an an awful lot in questioning your identity and learning the things that a new culture has forced you to learn Mm. but don't forget about the persimmons you know he brings out all these things from the attic these memories these things that he can touch and and re-assimilate himself with you know 
I can imagine it's an awfully confusing experience. And this poem is sort of this private realm where he excavates that that thought, the narrative or the timeline of coming to terms with your identity in a land where you possibly don't feel like it's your home or that doesn't celebrate your culture in any way or tells you that your culture is bad as well. Yeah, it's such a delicate poem because mm. I feel like it's it's asking and posing such difficult questions about really concrete life experiences and inequalities but it does this in this way that's so you know in the same way that maybe you would prepare a persimmon so delicate and reflected and moving through different stages and looking both at the the sadness and the heaviness but Mm. also the sweetness and the love as he says i think it's a very 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 special poem Mm, absolutely well Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And I hope I'm we made hungry. you hungry. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go and eat something, I think. Exactly. Maybe try and find some persimmons. Yeah, we're going to find some persimmons. <laughs> oh, what a lovely morning I've spent with you, Marta. Yeah, Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Yes. Um, we'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Bon appétit. Bon appétit. <laughs>